Lord, we thank you and praise you today because you're worthy to be praised. Pray, Lord, that you speak to us from your scriptures today that we might know what it is that we should do when we leave here. Give us our marching orders, Lord, from your word. Help us to be encouraged. Help us, Lord God, to see, to see you today, that we hear from you today. I pray now, Lord, that you would increase as I decrease. Pray that be all of you and none of me, that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart should be acceptable in thy sight. For Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? We are in our series uh, in the book of Romans, and we're continuing the series that we started last week. And by the way, it's not just this campus. All four campuses are preaching the very same passage every Sunday. It's preached, I promise you, it's preached different ways <laughs> at all four. <laughs> but, and it's a different message, but we're all preaching through Romans for a while now, and we're all on the same passage every week. So, you, you know, that just let you know. But we're in Romans chapter 1. Today, last week, we began our journey through Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, today, we'll read and look at Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. So, would you turn in your Bibles to that passage, and we'll read it uh, together. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. And when you get there, this, these are the words that you'll find. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may, may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that, that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Amen. From this passage today, I'd like to lift a theme, and that theme is marks of authentic Christianity. Marks of authentic Christianity. Be seated. Thank you again for being here. Um, it's a privilege to be able to stand uh, in this sacred space once again to talk about uh, what thus saith the Lord from his word. Uh, Mark Deaver, many of you are familiar with Mark Deaver. Mark Deaver wrote a pop popular book that many of you may have at least heard of or likely even read entitled Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to get it. It's a great book. It talks about uh, what a healthy and well-balanced church looks like. Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. In the book, Deaver highlights nine characteristics that identify a well, healthy, 
well-balanced church. Deaver says that these nine marks of a healthy, well-balanced church are, number one, expository preaching. Number two, he says, is biblical sound, biblical theology. Three, Deaver says, is the proclamation of the gospel. Then he talks about the importance of conversion. Then he says, number five is evangelism. It's important. Corporate discipleship is number six in Deva's book. And then he says, church discipline is important. Then he goes on to say that number eight is personal growth. That all should want to have a desire to grow. And then lastly, he emphasizes and discusses church leadership as being important in a healthy, well-balanced church. Today, I'd like to borrow Deaver's theme, but not apply it to the church, but rather apply it to individual Christians. That would be us. Individual believers, that would be us. I'd like to take that model that Deaver gives us in his book and apply it to each one of us as we attempt to live out what God has called us to do. Um, so the story, it, it, there's a story that's told. Story is told of a bodybuilder who was visiting an African tribe. And the tribal chief was just amazed at this bodybuilder's physique. So the tribal chief asked the muscle builder, what do you do with all of those muscles? Bodybuilder said, well, it's probably easier for me to show you than to tell you. I mean, than to talk about it. I can show you what I do. So then what he does is he begins to do different poses and presentations showing off his muscles. You know how bodybuilders do. You know, he, he, get, he hits one of these. Nah, I ain't gonna. Ain't gonna. <laughs> He begins to display, Sister Cynthia, all of his ripples and muscles before the tribal chief. He shows off his biceps, you know, the guns, right? He shows off his back muscles. He turns around, he poses for the chief. He shows off his obliques and all, the, all that stuff, you know, his abs and that thing that I haven't seen in, in, in you know, long time. Anyway, he begins to show these things off uh, to the tribal chief. And uh, he, he does that, and he just, he just stands there changing poses. This is what he does. He change, you know, that's what bodybuilders do. Bodybuilders do, they change poses. After presentation, the tribal chief says to the bodybuilder, uh, that, that, that's great, man, that's awesome. Look at, look at all those muscles. I have a second question. Second question, uh, uh, what do you do? With all of those muscles, what, 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 what do you do? Bodybuilder says, that's pretty much all I do. I work out to pose. I work out to pose. And, and tribal chief, uh, with sadness, looks at him and says, that, that is sad. That's a very sad thing. That is a waste. What a waste that is. That, 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 that's all you do is you work out only to pose. Many believers, many believers, I, I don't know if, if, if this applies to you, uh, I'm not messing with nobody, but many believers simply work out to pose. 
Because all that happens is work out. Don't, don't, don't work out uh, to use any of the muscles that God has given. Don't, don't do that and, and develop. Uh, so here's what it looks like. Carry a big Bible. Working out the pose. Stand for praise and worship. And wave your hands sometimes. Not messing with nobody. Uh, and, and all of that looks good. And absorb uh, what little nuggets you get from this old preacher who stands to preach every week. And, and you get all that. But do, do, do we use it for anything? Are we just working out our muscles to pose? And that is the only reason. We, we, is that that genuine, authentic Christianity ought to be marked by some active distinctives that are visible, not just on Sunday? Amen, somebody. It, 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 these things that we, that we build and work out and, 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 and get and attain uh, because we're Christians, they ought to be recognizable outside of the church setting. So all I'm trying to say is this. We don't do, we shouldn't do what we do only to prepare to be posers. I don't want to ever be accused of being a poser. Paul was not a poser. The Roman believers who Paul writes this iconic uh, letter to were not posers. To recap a little bit of where, what brought us to where we are today uh, and to look back to last week, Paul writes this monumental letter from Corinth while on his third missionary journey, somewhere between 56 and 58 AD. He's on his third missionary journey. He writes to the believers in Rome for a couple of different reasons. Uh, he writes, number one, to inform them that he has this desire to come to see them. And then he also writes to them to help them to establish uh, a good foundation in the faith, to explain to them and to break down to them uh, the intricacies of what the gospel is, to help them better understand so that they won't be just working out for nothing. He wants to help them to do that. Uh, as we shared last week from verses 1 through 7, he opens the letter by identifying himself. He, 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 he opens it, he identifies who he is, then he briefly discusses matters related to a few things. He discusses matters related to historicity, then he moves on and talks a little bit about matters, not in depth, but a little bit about matters related to Christology, and then he deals with soteriology, and he closes that segment of this letter verses 1 through 7, with the salutation. Y'all remember, we talked about it on last week. Then we arrive now at verses 8 through 15. And as we arrive here at verses 8 through 15, Paul inadvertently, in these verses, he inadvertently uh, uh, reveals 10 marks of authentic Christianity. I say he does it inadvertently because it doesn't seem to be his uh, intent. He, he's not intending to do this. It's just what happens as he is in his greeting to them. He reveals 10 marks that should describe and identify what an authentic Christian looks like. 
he's in the course of his greeting, and in the course of doing that, he highlights 10 characteristics that identify an authentic, genuine believer. 10 of them. Can I give them to you real quick? I know you're probably saying, I know this is not going to be real quick. You got 10 of these to talk about. But I promise, can I, can, if, I, if I'm real quick, can I give them to you? Because there's 10 that are very important that, that if we can see what Paul is saying, then we can, we can check ourselves. You know, it is important often to do a self-examination. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. Examine yourself, he says, to see if you be in the faith. And here, he gives us an ideal opportunity to do a self-examination. You leave here saying, do, do all 10 of those apply to me? It's what he does. He gives us 10. I'm going to see if I can help you to see them real quick from this passage. Uh, Paul leaves no room or no doubt as to what should be first on the list. Uh, he gives it away with the opening word of verse 8. Verse 8, the first word, helps us to see what ought to be first on all of our lists. Because the first word of verse 8 is first. Which says to me that he's saying, first thing is first thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. And he says, first, first, he says, let's read it again. I thank my God. We can just stop right there. And you should have saw something. Something should have jumped out at you about what the first mark of authentic Christianity ought to be. And that is this. The first mark is that there ought to be some gratefulness about us. We ought to be consumed with gratitude. There should be thankfulness just flowing out of us every time we think about the goodness of God and all that he's done for us. We should just well up with gratitude and gratefulness. It's what Paul says ought to be first on our list. God desires that each of us would maintain a grateful spirit. It ought to be first on our list. It's it, 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 it's something that should just, so, so, so here it is. I don't start any prayer, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but so I'm getting a little hit, but I, I got to tell you this. I don't start any prayer, and I would advise you not to ever start any prayer without first giving thanks. Don't, do, do not, don't you dare jump into praying to God asking for stuff. That is not advisable. Paul says, first thing is gratefulness, and that's in our prayer life, that's in our life in general. We ought to just look like we're thankful. When people look at us, they ought to see thanksgiving coming out of us. You ought to look like a turkey. <laughs> you ought to look like a thanksgiving dinner. Cause, you know, we got so much. And I know some of y'all saying, yeah, you do look like a turkey. I know that's all right. And I don't mind. You know why? Because I'm so thankful for what God has done for me. God has brought me. I don't have time. I really don't have time. I wish I did. But I don't have time to tell you how far God has brought me from. And I just can't help but to give him thanks every opportunity I get. I am overflowing with, and Paul says, this, my brothers and sisters, is the first mark of an authentic Christian. If you're not thankful, yourself, you just failed your self-examination before we even got to the next nine. You already failed. 
So here, here's what he says. Gratefulness is a mark that's important for the believer. It's what Hezekiah Walker had in mind. Anybody know Hezekiah? Not Hezekiah from the Bible, but Hezekiah Walker, the artist, the gospel singer. It's what he had in mind when he writes the song Grateful, when he says, I am grateful for the things that you have done. Yes, I'm grateful for the victories we've won. Somebody ought to help me sing that song. Amen, somebody. He says, I could go on and on and on about your works because I'm grateful. I'm grateful, so grateful, just to praise you, Lord. He says, flowing, somebody help me sing, from my heart are the issues of my heart is gratefulness. He says, all of us ought to have a spirit of gratitude. Paul says, it should be first. On our, how, how then, how then do we develop and maintain a grateful spirit? It only happens one way. It only happens when one finds complete contentment in Christ and in Christ alone. You cannot look for satisfaction, fulfillment in anything else because if you do, you'll find yourself being ungrateful because worldly things, even people, will let you down. You have to and I have to because I'm preaching to myself right now too. All of us have to, like Paul, look for contentment in Christ and in Christ. That's how we develop this thankful, this grateful spirit that Paul talks about. He, watch what he says in the text. He says, I pray. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Right? For all of you. He says, I, I'm thankful. Right? Um, how do we develop it though? We have to, we have to uh, find complete contentment in Christ. It, it's what Paul alludes to in Philippians 4, 10 through 13 when he says this. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now, watch this, Paul is in prison when he writes this. And he said, somebody who's a prisoner, who's an inmate, writes these words to folks who are free. Look at what he says. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking, uh, not, he says, that I am speaking in, 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 of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. That's a word for somebody, because a lot of us know how to, <laughs> how to survive in low times, but the most dangerous times of life are those times when we, are, when we abound, those times when things are going well. Paul says, I've learned to be content in the low times and in the high times. I've learned to be thankful in any and every circumstance. He says, I've learned the secret of, place, of facing plenty and hunger. I can deal with having food. I can deal with, have, with not having any. I can deal with abundance. I can deal with need. He closes that passage in Philippians 4 with these famous words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I have found contentment in him and and because I am content in Christ I can be grateful in any situation I, I, I can have a spirit of gratitude that every time I think about God I'm grateful 
Then he said, he goes on. So first mark is, is gratefulness, but then he shares another one with us. The next mark is found in verse 8, in the second part of verse 8. It says this, uh, second part of verse 8 says this, um, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Second mark of an authentic Christian is famous faith. He says to the Roman believers, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. The authentic believer, and I'm going to explain this in a minute, ought to have famous faith. You ought to have some famous faith. Uh, your faith, he says, has, is proclaimed in all the world. Here, here it is. Paul traveled widely, and whenever he went and wherever he went, he got good reports of the Christians at Rome. He got, he got good news about the believers that were at Rome because prior to Paul's writing, Claudius had issued an edict banishing all Jews and Christ followers from Rome. So they had been scattered all abroad because of this edict that was issued. They had been banished from Rome, so they found themselves scattered all over the Roman Empire. While scattered, they faced great persecution. But in the face of great persecution, they maintained their faith in the face of adversity. Even while being persecuted, they were faithful. Even while being misused and abused, they were faithful. They, they maintained their faith even in the midst, in the face of adversity. Now, as Paul writes this letter, uh, they had now returned, believers had returned now to Rome, and their reputation uh, of having strong faith has preceded them and is being much talked about everywhere, all over the Roman Empire. They're talking about the faith of the Roman believers because it was witnessed in them when they were being persecuted, how they stood firm. Okay, you're looking at me like you don't know what I mean. How do you respond when times get hard? Let me break away from the notes and just talk to you for a minute. How do you respond when times get tough? Can people that don't know Jesus look at me and look at you and see famous faith in you even when, when the fire is hot? Do you have the faith of the Hebrew boy? They had faith, I preached a message one time called faith in the face of fire. They had it. They had faith even when the king, Nebuchadnezzar, said, turn it up seven times hotter. They held on to their faith. That's the reason why right now you know who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are because they today have famous faith. They have famous faith. And what made the Roman believers' faith famous was that it was evident, as I've said, and observable in all situations, both good and bad situations. You could see these people were people of faith. Paul commends also the Thessalonians in a similar way. Uh, in what could be considered uh, a parallel to this verse. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and 8, he has kind of the same commendation 
for those believers because they had similar kind of faith as the Roman believers. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and 8, Paul says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. I want to have that kind of faith. Amen, somebody. I want, I want to have that kind of faith that, that, that people know the God that I serve. It's what we see in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith. The people that are in Hebrews 11 are there because they have famous faith. You talk about people like Enoch, people like uh, Moses, people like David, people like Rahab, people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Noah, and all those names that are listed in Hebrews 11 as having this great faith. Their faith is famous. It's so famous that the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 calls them this great cloud of witnesses. Uh, like what Dr. John Mike Maxwell says about Hebrews chapter 12, he likens it to being in a Roman Colosseum running a race and in the stands is this great cloud of witnesses that are looking down on all of us who are running the race. And Dr. Maxwell says he would love to call one at a time down out of the stands and ask them a question that would help him to complete the race. What would Moses say to us? What would Noah say? What would Abraham say? What would Abraham tell us about the day when he had to climb that mountain with his son following him, with stuff to make a fire, with stuff to offer a sacrifice, but no sacrifice? What would Abraham say to us about famous faith? They're there because their faith is famous. Someone should know about your faith. I'm not saying that it should be known in all the world, but somebody ought to know about it. You should not be the only one that knows that you have faith in God. I mean, your wife ought to know. I mean, your children or your neighbor, somebody, your coworker, somebody in your life other than you, because if it's only you, I promise you that is not genuine faith. Because some, not that you have to run around shouting it, not that you have to wear a cross around. I told you this message is going to sound different than all the other campuses, because I like to get a little loud, because when I think about the goodness of God, some of y'all are like, I wish that dude would, would calm down a little bit. It's hard for me to calm down. Because God's been too good. It's not that you have to have a fish on your car. It's not that you have to have a sign on your window. It's not that you have to carry a Bible to work. But somebody at work from time to time, when times have gotten tough, they should have seen you praying. Y'all not going, I need somebody to help me today. Yeah, they, somebody should have witnessed, your children should have came, should have surprised you and walked in on you while you were in the bathroom on your knees. And they ought to know that you have great faith, that, 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 that at least you have, it ought to be famous at least in your house. Paul says, for the Roman believers that all of the world knew about their faith, their faith was famous. Now, I know what you're saying. I can hear you. You're saying, preacher, we're only on number two. <laughs> and my stomach is growling. 
and I feel a one o'clock uh, uh, benediction coming on. <laughs> I promise you, I'm going to do this in 20 minutes, right? He says, your, your faith has to be, if you're going to be an authentic, I, I just have to linger there because it's important. If you're going to be considered an authentic Christian, you ought to have well-known faith. If only one other person knows about it. Then, he says, the next mark is that of faithful service. It's in verse 9, the first part of verse 9. He says this, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Here's the next mark. The authentic Christian has to be marked by or with uh, the, the desire to, to perform, not to perform, not only to perform, but to interact in and take on and be a part of faithful service. It has to be what identifies us. Paul, Paul now shares with them he, that he is completely sold out to propagating the gospel and serving the Lord. He's completely sold out. How do we know that he's saying that? Because when he says with my spirit, it likely means that he's saying with my whole heart. I serve the Lord with my whole heart, not with part of my heart, not with part of myself, but I give him everything. The word serve here is the Greek word uh, latrio. Everybody say latrio. It means to serve. It also means to worship. It's the same word Jesus uses when he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan, when Satan takes him up on a mountaintop and he says, look out over this and I, I look at all, everything you see, I'll give it all to you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus responds by saying, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you latrio, shall you serve. And, and, and it's the same word Paul uses when he talks about faithful service. He says, service for me is equated with worship to God. The greatest form of worship is faithful service to God and his people. Faithful service, not halfway service, but faithful service. Whatever we do in helping to carry out the redemptive mission of Christ is by, is by definition an act of worship. Whatever we do is, is, in, in carrying out that mission is an act of worship. Paul, who himself had a rich history of faithful service, shares more thoughts on this subject in Philippians chapter 3. I love Philippians because Philippians helps us to see how to respond in difficult times. Paul is locked in prison, and he writes in Philippians 3 when he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. He says that in Philippians 3. Then in 13 through 14, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things that are before. I press. Press means to serve. Press means to worship. Press means to work for Jesus. Press means to hold on, to stand firm, to hold on to God's unchanging hand. No matter what it looks like, he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what faithful service looks like. Then he moves on to the next one. He says, has to be faithful service. But here's the other thing. 
that identifies the genuine, authentic Christian, and that is fervent prayer. Fervent prayer has to be a part of, of who we are. It's in verses 9b and 10a. He says this uh, in, in the second part. He says, uh, always uh, or that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Always. In. So first thing I see there is, is this word always, which means that Paul prayed a lot. <laughs> it was his practice. He, he was a man of prayer. Pra fervent prayer has to be a part of the life of the authentic Christian. Prayer is important in the life of the believer. I know it's true because Jesus uh, uh, implores it. It's all over the Bible that we ought to be people of prayer. Jesus in Luke 18.1 says that men ought to always pray and not faint or not lose heart. First Thessalonians, Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18 Paul writes again, I pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Paul writes these words, uh, be, uh, be careful for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let, by, let me back up. Be careful for nothing, by all, but by all things, in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving by prayer. It all goes together. He writes just like he wrote in Romans. Thanksgiving has to be a part of it. He says, by prayer and thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. He says, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Prayer is an important part of the life of the believer. We have to be people of fervent prayer. Here's something that John Piper says about prayer. John Piper says this, prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. It humbles us. It says to God, I need you. And God responds by saying, I, now my English is not going to be right here, but that's okay, y'all excuse me. I got what you need. I thought y'all were going to help me. And he said, it, 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 it says to God, like when our children come to us, it says, I don't know everything. I don't have what I need, but daddy, I believe you got it. That's what prayer says. I, and whether it's peace, whether it's whatever it is, whether it's grace, whether it's mercy, whether it's a bill paid, whether it's the kid, don't matter what it is, I'm saying to God, I believe you got it. God, excuse my English, but I'm just in a place where I need to talk to you in a real way. Any real folks in here? God wants us to be real. I believe you got it. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. I love that. Paul was not only a powerful preacher and skilled writer, he was also a committed prayer warrior who was known for his unselfish prayers. And another word on this, our prayers need to not be self-centered all the time. It's okay to pray for yourself. I pray for myself. But listen, a focal point of our prayers should be others. The needs of others. 
right? I pray for you, you pray for me. And then we watch God change things, right? That, that, that should be, it, it, Paul was famous for being a person that prayed unselfishly. Then he moves on. We ought, to, we ought to be people of fervent prayer. Then he says this, the next mark of the authentic Christian is that that person should be submissive to God's will. It's in verse 10. Paul says in verse 10, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. Paul had a desire to travel to Rome. But it had to be in accordance with God's will. It had to be. He, he, we don't know what, what prevented him. We'll talk about more in a minute. We don't know what prevented But he has this desire to come to Rome to visit the believers in Rome. But to this point, he's not been able to. And he says in verse 10 that I, I, I have this desire. I've had this desire. I still have it. But the only way that I'm going to set out on a journey to come to Rome is that it has to line up with the will of God. And I submit to you that whatever we do, should line up with the will. We ought not do stuff and then go back and ask God to sign off on it. Woo, we got some, the lights on. Or can we, y'all know I like to talk. You got to talk to me. Don't, let me just warn you. If you're in the middle section, that's where I look most of the time. And Sam's not here today. I need somebody to take Sam's play. Say amen every now and then. Listen, listen, we ought, not, we ought not devise plans and schemes and our agendas and then get down on our knees and say, Lord, would you bless this marriage? Lord, would you bless this business venture? No, if we were believers when we went into it, we should have been on our knees. Knees should have been rushed, uh, rusty and ashy and all of that before we signed the paper for the business venture. Because if we had done that and it wasn't the right thing, God would have stopped us. Amen, somebody, before we stood before the preacher and said, I do. Now you're in it. Bible says if you're a believer, you got to stay there. Uh-oh, I didn't say something. Y'all going to put me out. Don't put me out. I'm just quoting Paul. <laughs> it, you have to seek the will of God. Paul knows this because in Acts chapter 16, y'all remember Acts chapter 16? Paul has a desire to go to Asia, to preach to the people in Asia. And God, by way of the Holy Spirit, intervenes and stops Paul from going to Asia. Then he has a desire after being prevented and, uh, and following and obeying God's will from going to Asia. He then plans his own plan to go to Mysia. God intervenes and sends a vision in the nighttime of a man saying, come over, don't go to Asia, don't go to Mysia, come over to Macedonia, because we want to hear the gospel over here. Paul wakes up from the vision, and immediately the scripture says, he makes his way to Philippi. Somebody say amen. He meets a slave girl. 
who's being used and abused, and she gets saved. He meets a lady named Lydia who's a seller of purple. She gets saved in a household, and good God Almighty, he meets a man in a Philippian jail who's serving as a warden. And all because he follows the will of God. An earthquake comes at midnight, shakes the foundations of the prison. The, wall, the, the bars are open, the bands are loosed, and the Philippian jailer and his whole household are saved. All because he didn't devise his own plan and then ask God to sign off on it. He listened to God and and so he says to the Roman believers, I have desired and still desire to come to you, but it's going to have to be the will of God because that's what I follow. So, moving on. We're at six. We're getting there. Y'all keeping track? <laughs> he says, submissive to the will of God. Then the believer also has to be an edifier to others. You have to be an edifier to others. Look at what it says. It says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. I, I, one, one of the things that should burn on my heart is to see you edified, to see you lifted up, to, to, to see you, to give you what I have. And, and, and in a minute, he's going to turn that thing around. We're not going to not talk about that yet, but he's going to also talk about how you've got something to offer me. But right now, he's got something to offer them. And the believer has to be marked by this desire to be an encourager and an imparter. God didn't give you what you have for you to hold it and keep it for yourself. God didn't give you your testimony for you not to share it. God didn't bring you from where he brought you from for you not to tell it. God didn't have you in Sunday school and Bible study and Sunday service and all of that, learning his word to not tell somebody what thus saith the Lord. This is going to be one of them lose your voice Sundays. Hope somebody got some cough drop. This is one of them lose your voice Sundays, Mark. Because the Lord is good and I can't help it. Uh, some spiritual gift. Paul says here, some spiritual gift. What does that mean when he says to impart to you some spiritual gift? What is he referring to? I, I submit to you that he likely is referring to gifts that God had blessed him with. That he wanted to share with them for their edification. Whatever Paul simply saying, whatever God has given me that I believe can be of service to you. I'm here. I'm coming. I'm writing you this letter, letting you know I'm coming to impart that to you. We ought to be the same way. We ought to have a strong desire, Brother Edward, to be imparters. All right? We ought to be imparters. That's what Paul says. He says, I want to I help you. I want to I do what I can to help you. I want to do what I can so, so that my living won't be in vain. This is, this is quote a song Sunday. Can I quote another one from you, for you? Can I quote lyrics from Mahalia Jackson? Mahalia Jackson said this, if I can help somebody as I travel along, if I can help somebody with a word or a song, if I can help somebody from doing wrong, then my living won't be in vain. Paul is saying the same thing in another way. Uh, before the days of Mahalia Jackson, Paul says, if I can help those that are at Rome and all over the world 
understand uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and how liberating it is, how freeing it is, how, how invigorating it is, then, I, then my living won't be in vain. After all, somebody, I was a beggar looking for bread and Jesus knocked me down off my beast on the road to Damascus and I found not just a piece of bread, but I found the bread maker. If I can tell everybody about it, then my living won't be in vain. Number seven, this is the seventh mark of an authentic Christian. You got to be willing to learn from others. It's in verse 12. Verse 12 says this, uh, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Listen, it's a good thing to be an edifier, but you don't know it all. You don't have all the answers, neither do I, right? I, I, we have to be humble enough to say, I can learn something from you. You have, I, I'm going to give you what I got. But I'm also looking for you to give me what you have. Because iron sharpens iron. And I believe that even though I'm coming to you as the Apostle Paul, you have something to offer me. And what we share together will be mutually encouraging for both of us. You're no, I'm no greater than you. You're no greater than me. We both are in this thing together, and you have something to offer me, and I believe I have something to offer you. Whatever little I have, you can have it. Whatever little you got, I expect you to give it to me. I'm coming humble and submissive to understand that it's not about me. We have to be willing to learn from others. And if we're willing to learn from others, we can see the beauty of how God planned this thing to work. I love what Chuck Swindoll says about it. He speaks about it when he says, very few things will strengthen an older believer's faith more than the vibrant faith of a new believer. Conversely, and there is little that will benefit a new believer more than exposure to the mature faith, the mature faith of a mature brother or sister in Christ. This thing works together. You got some stuff. I got some stuff. Let's put it together and build the body of Christ together. When I'm down, Paul says, you ought to, you ought to weep with me. You ought to cry with me. Amen, somebody. You ought to mourn with me. When I rejoice, you ought to rejoice with me. Don't hate on me. I'm not going to hate on you. When we're down, we're going to weep together. When we're up, we're going to rejoice together. And that's how God intended this thing to work. You've got something to offer to me as well. And that's what Paul, Paul says. You've got to be willing to learn from others. Number eight, here's the eighth mark of an authentic. You've got to learn how to be a farmer. Or Maybe not learn how to be a farmer, but at least learn agricultural concepts and what the concept of agriculture is all about. He talks about it in this verse. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. We don't know the reason why he had been prevented. Some have speculated. We don't know the true reason why he hadn't been able. Maybe he was too busy in ministry. Maybe the Lord didn't allow him to go. Maybe the Lord prevented him to go. He hadn't been able to come just yet, but he says, I want to come 
Here's the reason why. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. We have to understand the principles of agriculture because they are all over the Bible. The concept of sowing and reaping. And Paul says, I'm coming because I want to I wanna reap a harvest. Sometimes the Lord allows us to reap where we didn't even sow. And this is what's happening in Paul's case because he's wanting to go. His purpose for going was that he might have a harvest among the people there. Paul wanted to go to Rome to win souls for Jesus, but Paul is going to a field to reap a harvest where he hadn't sown. And we have to understand there's this principle all throughout the body, all throughout the kingdom of God, this principle of reaping and sowing. And God says, you reap what you sow. And sometimes you reap where you didn't sow. And sometimes you reap more than you sow. But it's still a principle. It's a principle of agriculture. You've got to understand about planting stuff. And when you plant it, you expect for some a harvest to come up. That's the reason why Jesus says to his followers, Brothers, the harvest is plenteous. They didn't plant it. He says, here's the problem. The laborers are few. Paul says, I'm coming to Rome to be a laborer, to reap a harvest that I didn't sow. I want to share the gospel so that I can see people come to Christ. I'm coming with a burning on my heart to see people saved, set free, and delivered like I was. I was on my way to persecute the church of God, and I met a man that turned my life around, and I'm coming. To be a farmer. Next principle, the next mark of an authentic believer is that that believer must be under obligation to all. A key, there's a key word there in, in that. It's that last word, all. Right? So here's what, the, here's what the text says in verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. That's what Paul says. Paul saw himself as a debtor to all who needed to hear the gospel. No matter who they were, Paul says, I'm under obligation to them. Paul had no, op no option but to take the good news far and wide to people of every nation, tribe, tongue, regardless of their ethnic or cultural orientation. We should feel the same obligation. In fact, I believe we do because that's what we're doing here at Bethel Hope. Right? That's what we look at. I, I'm preaching to the choir on this one, right? I, say, somebody say amen. Make, at least make me think I'm saying the right thing. That's what we're attempting to do, right? We don't, we, we're, not, we're, not, we're not concerned about what, what, what we look like, where we came from, right? We're saying we're under obligation to everybody because our responsibility is to share the gospel no matter where you came from. No matter what you look. Paul says, I am a debtor. Because Jesus called me, goes back to verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm called, and I'm a debtor because of that call to everybody, both Greeks, barbarians, both wise folks and foolish folks. And I know sometimes it's hard dealing with foolish folks. Good God Almighty. Isn't it? But we, under, we are under obligation even to the foolish. 
You know why? Because one day, you were foolish. I know you don't think you've ever been foolish. <laughs> but there was a point when I was a foolish dude. Is that still a good word to use, Chris? Dude? Okay, all right. <laughs> Chris helped me with young folks stuff. <laughs> and, and so you have to admit, right? We were all foolish. And Paul said, I'm under obligation to everybody. This is Racial Reconciliation Sunday for City Fest. And all churches are supposed to be saying something today about racial reconciliation. Paul, it, it, Paul deals with it here. Listen, we, we really don't necessarily need to deal with it because that's what we do. <laughs> Isn't that right? That, that's what we do every week. We, we, that's what we do. In fact, I don't even like to talk about it because if I talk about it, 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 it emphasizes and the stress. I, don't, I just like to see it happen. I don't like preach about it. I don't like to talk about it. I'm not going to preach a message about it. That's the reason why this message is not about it. I will mention it because we said we would. But it's what we do. And I'm not stressing it. I just want to see it happen. If we love each other, Edward, it'll just happen. If I come to eat at your house, Cody, where's Cody? Cody invited us to dinner, as some of, of, of you others have. And we sat down to eat, and we had a meal together. And because of that, we, have, we, we, we learned about each other. Jeff, been to Jeff. I've been to a lot of y'all's houses. I'm not going to start naming names because we'll, we will be 1 o'clock. Because <laughs> watch this. I'm on 14, right? I'm on verse 14. I got one more to go. If y'all give me five minutes, I promise you I'm going to give you a good story, and we're going to go home. But it's what we do. Paul says, I'm under obligation to everybody. Everybody, everybody. Nobody is different. There, there is no Jew, no Greek, no male, no female, no, no Jew, no Gentile. Everybody deserves to be loved. Everybody deserves compassion. And I am under obligation to care for and love everybody. That's a message that we need to hear today. We're all under obligation because Jesus didn't have to love us. Can you imagine what you look like to him? He didn't have to do it, but he did. We should feel the same obligation. In fact, it's what we're doing. Lastly, I'm here, lastly. Y'all were waiting on that word, right? Lastly. Isn't that a beautiful word today? Lastly. <laughs> Number 10. <laughs> Number 10, right? Number 10. The 10th the, the, the mark in this text. There are probably some others. There are probably some other marks that I'm not covering today, but there are at least 10 in this text, in this passage. The last one I see in this is that we've got to be eager. Eager. That's what Paul says. He says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. I'm eager. This obligation that Paul has was not a burden to him. Uh, to the contrary, he was eager, excited, to preach the gospel for those that needed to hear it. He had this eagerness, this excitement about him. It's, and, 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 you know, I don't even think that he, really, that he thought that he was worthy to do it, but he felt this, this, this unction, this call, this compulsion on his life to preach and teach and talk about Jesus. And every time he thought about it, he felt himself being eager to do it. I feel the same way. Robbie, I, I don't know that I'm worthy to do what God has allowed me to do, but every time I get close to doing it, I feel this eagerness, and you can't, you can't pull me down from here. 
Because God has called, and God, listen, it's not just, God has called you to do something too. And there ought to be some eagerness about you that when it's time to do it, when it's time, I don't know when your time is, but whenever it's time, there ought to be some excitement down in your belly that every now and then you ought to be like me and lose your voice too. I'm not saying you ought to, you know, everybody can't, it's not everybody's, it's this, this is what I do. It, it moves me a different way. Public, and Paul may not have even been like that, but he does say he is eager to preach to them. He's excited. There was no hesitation in him. There was no shame in him. In fact, in next week's passage in 16 and 17, that's how he's going to start it off. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am eager to share it with you. Paul, I'm going to give you this and we're going to go home. Paul was not a toe dipper. Y'all know what a toe dipper is? Y'all know I'm a cowboy fan. I went to cowboy training camp last week. Isn't that something? That was always on my bucket list, Brother Bob. I finally had a chance to go. Took my boys, my son, my grandson. Went to cowboys training camp. It was awesome. Man, I could, I could have almost died and went to hell. <laughs> right there on the, on the sideline. Oh, heavens could have opened. <laughs> I could have been like Elijah. Just come take me in a whirlwind, God. <laughs> Bill Parcells, one of, the, one of my favorite all-time Cowboys coaches, not because of his one loss record, but because he knew how to put Jerry in check. He was the only coach in the history of the Cowboys that could tell Jerry what to do, and Jerry would listen. Ever since then, he's never hired another one, and he's, I, I believe he's made a personal vow. I'll never hire anybody else. Like Bill said, if you're going to want me to cook the dinner, I need to buy the groceries. And Jerry, you're not going to be involved in it. One of the other things I love that Bill Parcells said, Bill Parcells during one of the training camps said, we don't need any toe dippers on this team. You know what, you've already said you don't know. Some of y'all said you know. This is what Bill described as a toe dipper. Have you ever been to the pool? And there's some people that'll walk up to the pool, Brother Edward, and they're worried about how cold it is. So they'll walk up to the edge of the pool, Tammy, and they dip their toe in the pool. For Some of y'all laughing because y'all do this. <laughs> dip the toe in the pool before you jump in. And then there are other folks, they don't care how cold it is, how warm it is. They just take off their clothes, put on their swimsuit, run up to the pool or to the beach, and just dive in. Parcells says, that's the people we want. We don't need people dipping their toe. God does not need or want toe dippers. He wants us to not hesitate, not doubt, not Think about it. Just jump in with excitement and eagerness to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was not a toe dipper. Paul was not a bodybuilding poser. He was an authentic, genuine Christian who was marked with at least all the ten of these marks that he didn't even know he was describing in, Rome, describing in Romans chapter 1. Let's pray because I know y'all, I hear you, somebody's stomach's growling. <laughs> Father, we thank you.
this time you've given us today. Thank you for your word that gives us strength. Thank you for your word that helps us. Thank you for these descriptors, these marks. We pray that we would be true to, to them and that they would be seen in us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to be dismissed, we're going to extend an invitation. If you're here and you'd like to be a member of the Bethel Hope Campus, I'm going to ask you, you can either come this way, you can raise your hand, you can grab me after service, whatever. But I want you to, I want you to settle that matter today. If you say, man, I like what's going on. I've been here a few times. I haven't taken that step yet, but I want to, and I don't really know how to do it. Well, I want you to eat. You can come now, or you can see me after service. You can wave, raise your hand, or one of those things. Either one of those things will be great. We can settle that. But more importantly, if you don't know this God I'm talking about, if you don't know this Jesus that does me the way he does me, you say, why is this dude so crazy? Why does he come down out the pulpit and walk around and, and holler and yell, lose his voice some Sundays? What's going on there? I, I want to I know that kind of freedom. I want to, I wanna, I, and listen, this is not to say that everybody expresses themselves that way. Because there are folks that love Jesus way more than I do that can sit and fold their arms, and that's perfectly fine right here at Bethel Hope. We do it always, Right? Nobody's going nobody's gonna to call you out because you don't like to clap. Nobody's going to call you out because you don't wait. Nobody's going to call you out because you don't lose your voice like the preacher. It's okay. But if you want to know the Jesus that all of us know, both the quiet ones and the loud ones, we want you to come. Because let me tell you this. Let me use my quiet voice right now. He's awesome. He changed my life. My life has never been the same since I met Jesus on my road to Damascus. Do you know him? Would you come? 